since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I am Aiden. And we're here to discuss uh, a recent film that's come out in theaters called yes. All Is True. It is the Kenneth Branagh directed, starred, starring in, produced possibly, probably, uh, Ben Elton written biopic about the retirement years, Shakespeare's golden years. Yeah. Well, um, yes, I guess so. Yeah. His I guess last, they're not, well, they're, they're not the golden years in terms no, of No, but they're, they're, output. no, no, no. When you talk about someone's golden years, you're talking about their last years. Or their greatest years. No, that's not how that's used. Okay, okay. So Lindsay's teaching Aiden how to talk, yep. uh, which is yep. very normal for this uh, podcast. Uh, but yes, <laughs> and we are here to talk about the, the film. Um, and Lindsay, you have gotten a bit of a head start on this because you uh, wrote a review of the film for 25 years later. Yes, that's correct. So um, yeah, I've been thinking about this since we got out of the film um, last night yes. as of the about recording of this ago, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I wrote up my review for the for the site and um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think we kind of had anticipations going into it kind of thinking what it was going to be like and I'm not going to say that I had super high hopes for the film um, just because when it comes to Shakespeare biopics they tend to be quite hagiographic and very like uh, Shakespeare was the greatest and here's why kind of thing right and and I I figured with Kenneth Branagh being such a Shakespeare yeah like (laughs) back in the 90s he did four or five Shakespearean films like all in a row Henry V and Much Ado About Nothing and Hamlet and he was Iago and Othello which I didn't know about so like He's kind of the the Shakespeare guy, right? And and Ben Elton, obviously the showrunner behind um, Upstart Crow, which is on the BBC. And you know, it's it felt like this was going to be one of those films, and to a large extent, it is one yes. of those films. Absolutely. But there were some good things about it that that I thought were quite redeeming. Yeah, it uh, di- I didn't and leave well the theater. Done. Just frankly, just excellently performed and uh put together yeah so i mean we we walked home from the theater and and we're kind of like i didn't hate it but i didn't like want to go out and see it again no i would probably right? never see this film again uh and again i think you you kind of summarized it well earlier Lindsay, when we were talking uh that the the main fault of the the film is in the story it's in yeah. the writing uh it is very much a fan service kind of uh, approach to the Shakespeare story. There are so many uh, uh, instances of someone saying, but you're such a genius, Willie Shakespeare. Well, you know me. Da, 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 da. No, like that's, it's not, it's it's not, not that comedic, bad. But, <laughs> but it, it comes across as very just, uh, oh, let's awe in the, shake, in the genius of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it's grading on its own, um, but it's also just probably not accurate for the time period. Well, let's, let's talk about that a bit because um, the story of the film, there's a couple of stories being told in the film and 
I mean, obviously, if you're if you're approaching any film where or any story at all where uh, the main character is an actual historical figure, you would hope that you would approach it from a historical point of view. And that's already problematic for any film about Shakespeare because so little is known about Shakespeare, as we've talked about on this podcast. So you have to fill in the gaps. And usually a film like Shakespeare in Love or um, any any of the films or books that were written about Shakespeare, um, they take great liberty with the historical record and they try to explain away um, the inconsistencies or the missing the gaps in the story with their own kind of fanciful imaginings of what might have happened or what could have happened and here we have um, the final three years of Shakespeare's life after his retirement from the London stage the London theater scene yeah. uh, following the the actual true account of the burning of the Globe Theater during a production of Henry the Eighth, which was alternately titled All is True which is where the title of the film came from mm-hmm. um and yeah, he retired to this quiet life in Warwickshire, you know, and he plants a garden and mourns the death of his son 17 years later. And yeah. that that really is where the the main story kind of kicks into yeah. high gear. Yeah, the 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 death of Hamnet. And to be fair, uh, if the based on the scant uh, biographical details that we do have, that's really kind of like the most dramatic element that happened to Shakespeare. Is he had a son who died mm-hmm. um, before him due to plague, and that because of that fact it feels like they they were like well there's not there's not much drama to be found in Shakespeare's life especially in his retirement years yeah. uh beyond that so they've kind of crafted the entire story to revolve around Hamnet's death right. there it's it's a murder mystery kind of in a way like you don't know exactly how he died um although that's kind of thrown in very late in the film uh and that's also the source of tension uh, within the family. Uh, there's uh, Judith, which was the twin who survived, um, and her entire fight with her father once once Shakespeare's returned, she's very kind of angry at him because mm-hmm. she kind of uh, assumes and interprets Shakespeare's actions uh, through the past you know 17 years. Uh, as being that he's upset that his son died and she survived. Yeah, the wrong twin died. The wrong twin died. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of a bad trope and it, it yeah. doesn't really work great here. It doesn't, well, it doesn't resonate because you don't really have anything to go on. And that that's partly because we don't have anything to go on, but, but the story kind of throws it in there, which yeah. makes it like an artificial yeah. drama that, that doesn't really have any solid foundations to it yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. You also have other elements at play, you know, his, his eldest daughter, Susanna and her husband, uh, Dr. John Hall, who um, are Puritan, very and, Puritan, yeah. and and go through a scandal when it's found out that Susanna is having an affair with somebody else in town, and and her name is slandered, and this is stuff that that is kind of thrown in there, and you think it's going to be important, and then it's never referred to again. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with Judith and her eventual husband Thomas Quiney, who was a, an actual vintner in town, and they did get married and they did have three kids, but their courtship is like hinges so fast and so quickly on Judith wanting to please her father that um, that, that whole but story... But herself. Comes, I mean, well, yeah, yeah sort of, but not really. <laughs> like, it's just... All of these elements are kind of just thrust into a very tight 101-minute runtime that yeah. it almost feels like it... They took all of the available information and they're like, we're just going to tell it all, yeah. right? Yeah. 
and exactly. and somehow make it fit and it doesn't and i i yeah. kind of understand why they did that because that's how life is like but not everything can be drawn like there's not a straight line in everybody's life from a moment 17 years later to the death of uh, to their death you know yeah. or whatever yeah. so to try and do that with shakespeare with such little information to try and say there's an absolute straight line from the death of hamnet through to his estrangement from his wife and daughters through to his redemption with those same yeah, people right? at like, the end before, that before doesn't his death. feel yeah. it feels very forced and it feels um unnatural and and it doesn't yeah exactly that's that's a really good uh summary of it of the problem um and it and it it's very noticeable while you're watching it that this feels contrived. Yeah. Uh, it, it because it, I mean when it starts off it's 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 quite not gripping. I mean there's there's some odd directorial choices too. I found there was there were just conversations that would just happen and you didn't yeah. really know what they were conversations from that were referencing to. some of those biographical details that we know such as like Shakespeare poaching deer on Sir Thomas Lucy's yes, um, grounds that. right yeah. that is tossed into a, a, a kind of an interesting fun little witty co- uh, comeback that Shakespeare throws at at Lucy in the, the town square or whatever yeah, yeah. but it's a one line thing it's almost a throwaway line and that it's like that that happens a lot where it's like yes. a throwaway line about somebody or a throwaway line about the upstart crow comment from yeah. 30 years earlier or whatever like it's just they're they're crammed in there it's like they, they literally they took everything they knew and they just we name check or, or check make yeah, a checklist check like this is like what were the missing be... years well no he was a teacher who probably got sacked from the, the school i think that was hinted at one of the things he went to the yeah or that he was kicked out because his father was a thief which is yeah, referenced a lot too. yeah yeah or the fact that he bought his coat of arms and then they try and explain that as him trying to um forge a deeper relationship with the earl of southampton right because now yeah. he's a gentleman he bought his his coat of arms so you know like all of these things that are very quickly and sharply referenced but without any real need for them to be and, referenced and without any weight to them yeah. at all it's it's and and in some respects that that could have worked that could have if you were just giving a snapshot of this kind of tired a little bit bitter a little bit you know depressed about his lot in life older man mm-hmm. who'd had a great run but he was done with it he was fed up with the with the um, the London scene and he wanted to come out and enjoy his retirement with his family. Um, if that was it, that's fine, but it, it has to, the film feels compelled to pull in all this other extraneous yeah. stuff from his time in London. Uh, that like does forcing not, it in, yeah. exactly. It does not feel natural. It doesn't, it doesn't make much sense for Shakespeare to be this mythic figure that needs to have all the avenues of his life explored within this three-year time period Mm -hmm. but the film wants to do that yeah and that's that's where the secondary story comes in which is really that hagiography of of william shakespeare it's it's almost i wrote in my article in my review that it almost feels like it's trying to remind the audience that shakespeare is a great person Mm -hmm. by saying like like, well telling you every five minutes how great shakespeare is and it doesn't feel like that a it's not necessary because we get that in our culture already it's kind of ingrained into us that he is this person whether you agree with that or not that's what we've been told there's no need to underscore it yeah um but also it just it it weakens the story on a certain level because ben johnson isn't going to come to shakespeare's house and list off all the names ben johnson and the earl of southampton both come to shakespeare's house and list off the names of all the other poets who have died and literally it's just a laundry list thomas kidd and kit marlowe and bloody blah 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 and it's just like 
yeah, okay, we're we're comparing him here. Like, I, I don't feel like that was, as Aiden mentioned, it doesn't feel like it's um, particularly historically relevant. Like, I don't think that actually would have happened. Yeah. But also, it just feels unnecessary. It, it feels like it's for the audience. Yeah. But at the same time, there were things that were brought up in the film that, at least in the screening we went to, people didn't really seem to know those aspects yeah. of Shakespeare's life. Like, for example, there's a, a very brief scene with Shakespeare's lawyer where he's amending his will and he wants to give a certain piece of furniture to his wife. We all, Shakespeare scholars, know that that would be the second best bet. Um and at the end, in a little postscript, it's mentioned that he gives her the second best bed. And throughout the film, you kind of figure, okay, the second best bed is the one that they would have slept in. And it's hinted that they had a, a yeah. good night yeah, reconciling exactly. together in the bed. Um, but there were people in the audience who were like, oh, that's why that was there. Or, yeah. Oh, I get it now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, so so how much more of the film did they not get? Did yeah. they did they miss? How much of it did they miss? Right. Well, so and, who was this film really for? Well, and I feel like it's very clearly for you and I, Lindsay. It is it is designed for the Shakespeare nerds who who have this you know, not scholar level, scholarly level knowledge of uh, the man and mm-hmm. all that we've never read the 78 records that clearly identify Shakespeare, right. uh, you know, but we we've we've heard the stories and we we understand uh, the kind of gravitas around the character of Shakespeare mm-hmm. um, and all the associated uh, pieces that are kind of latch onto that. Um, so yeah, when we hear, you know, the, uh, yeah, his father was a Glover who, right. you know, lost it. And then, uh, you know, or his father was a thief. Yeah, wink, exactly. Wink. Like yeah. it's, it, it matters to us. We get it. But the average person who maybe read Shakespeare in high school is probably not going to get the same, the same pull from it but I also wonder if they're going to miss the story entirely because it happens very quickly there's a lot of stuff that's referenced and happening it's kind of confusing at times yeah at times I I think it it impacts more than anything the motivations of Shakespeare uh, because you really do get the sense that the the central kind of conflict for him internally is you know what what has his life been worth right and how does it how does he what does he pass on Mm -hmm. and he has these kind of competing uh, visions of well, it's my family who I should be worried about passing on, and that's yeah. you know that's kind of the focus for a lot of the conflict, obviously between his two daughters and uh, their descendants. Um, but then there's also this you know there's the Earl of Southampton coming in and saying you're the greatest poet who ever lived. Your body of work will outlast them all. So why yeah. are you worried about anything else in your life? You lived the greatest life of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also a but also a sad small little life. small yeah. life. It's 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 a confusing. Uh, conundrum there and I think uh, having access to those little tidbits of uh, Shakespeare uh, mythos yeah sure that's a good way of putting it uh, are are helpful to exploring that character um, but the film kind of relies on you picking up on them right um, yeah and you know it's like there's this whole kind of Oedipal thing about his father and right. how important it was to impress him and well yeah uh, and then and then Hamnet's ghost appears which is yeah. a weird little I don't know if that was meant to be a reference to Hamlet and Hamlet's father's ghost appearing maybe. to him, and I like I'm not really yeah, the sure three what times, that I guess, point maybe. is, but but it it felt very yeah I, maybe not Oedipal but um, but definitely uh, contrived. It, it did, uh, and and that's that. I guess that's the best way to describe this story and the writing of the film is that mm-hmm. it does feel contrived. Um, and again, we're bringing our biases into this. Right. I think some of those people who had no idea anything about Shakespeare, except that 
they wrote a uh, play that he read or he they read a play of his in 12th grade and that was the last time they touched it yeah they'd get something very different out of it and mm-hmm. i think it'd be interesting to actually uh get those yeah, opinions from sure. from someone else um but based on our uh knowledge it, it felt very very much like uh everything was just being shoehorned in mm-hmm. and in the film kind of suffered in in our opinion i think i do think also that the biggest disappointment for me was and I mentioned it at the top that when you're dealing with um, so much missing information, you have to make up stuff. Mm-hmm. And the stories that they chose to make up were kind of baffling to me. Yeah. Like this whole murder mystery thing with Hamnet, yeah. like not murder literally, but that that maybe he didn't die of plague, maybe he died by drowning, and that it's possible that he committed suicide or that Judith, his twin sister, drove him to do it because yeah. he wasn't actually this brilliant little boy that Shakespeare thought he was, that Judith was the one who was the the poetess in the family and that, you know, Hamnet was just writing them down because he, got, he had access to the school and could write, yeah. which shoehorns or, or fits into this other story that we haven't even talked about that that here are these three women these these women that meant a great deal to Shakespeare and that a lot of Shakespeare scholars have have pointed to and we've done it ourselves that um, in his later plays he starts writing these strong women and and it's hard not to um, point to that biographical information and say well he was the father of grown daughters and so he and so Miranda or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these these great female characters in the later canon maybe are references to his daughters. But here we have this story of Shakespeare um, completely consumed with grief for the loss of his son while he has two living daughters, yeah. one of whom is actually the one that, that he should have been proud of all along. Yeah. And a wife, a long-suffering wife who is illiterate and, and is grappling with her own place in his life and... and in his shadow really yeah, yeah. Um, and the film teases you and makes you think that this is this is this story that's been brewing on the side while he's grieving Hamnet and then you realize oh the switch happens and it's actually Judith who was writing the poems and it's not Hamnet and you think oh he's going to appreciate his family more and that happens for a split second and you see these relationships being repaired but then immediately we get thrown back into that he's grieving Hamnet and he's going to the graves and he's figuring out that it wasn't plague and and then the film ends because he spends the night out in the cold and gets gets sick and dies and it's like that's where the film ends even though we have this beautiful moment at the end where Susanna has taught Judith and her mother how to read and write and then they eulogize him with the funerary quote or the funerary poem from Cymbeline um his his three women um it doesn't feel earned at that no, point. It no. feels like that story that story should have been the focus. And I feel like the film could have gone that way uh, by see, making a switch between like this patrilineal my only legacy but, is through the male line, but actually it's well, through these these three women but, that you shun to the side. Sure, but except for as you mentioned, his work had already kind of shifted into that thinking anyways. I mean, if you look at the Tempest as the you know, archetypal goodbye from right. a, no, but he's already moved on to allowing women. So I, I don't see his character being in that place at that point in time. I think the the grieving of Hamnet 
was in Hamlet. <laughs> you know, like it was seven years later. He writes it in like what 1603 or something like that. That's when Hamlet's that's, produced. Yeah. Seven years later, that that's his that's his ode to his dead yeah. son. So why revisit it now? Uh, no, ten years I, after no, that. I, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm so just I'm saying, just saying it should never have been in the in the film because he'd already moved on. Well, no, it could have been. It could have been. No, you know, I don't he think comes so. back and and then he he's grieving the family that he could have had. He's grieving the the life that he might have lived and he's also lived this other life but as as a way using Hamnet's death as a way to get access back into his daughter's lives might have been a stronger story and it, and it did feel like that would have that that was going to be where they were going and then when it didn't happen when it when it became entirely about Hamnet's death it really did force force feed you down that yeah that path of the only sure. and 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 the fact that the postscript mentions that you know, Judith and Thomas had three sons, but they, they all died, died young. Yeah. And like the only descendants that Shakespeare had were women. So the name died out. Like that's the most important thing. Yeah. But actually, it's it doesn't matter. Well, and, and, and see, yeah, the, my my problem with the, the whole approach of the film is that it it got so many key things wrong about what this what the the story really was in those years i don't think it was about grieving and and re-entering a family life or anything like that i think it was just an old dude retiring and like there's one very rough hard to watch scene almost where uh, an admirer from afar comes and talks to Shakespeare and he's he gives off all these answers like yep no I don't have a favorite play blah 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 best way to get into writing is to start writing he he spouts off the cliches of how you know his life Um, and then the guy asks well how did you do it? How did you manage to write so much so perfectly? And he gives this long-winded answer of, you know, imagination and, and everything, which is obviously just <laughs> Ben Elton and Kenneth Branagh's interpretation of how he did it. Um, but I don't think, uh, first of all, I don't think that's what uh, Shakespeare would have viewed himself or how he would have viewed himself. And that's, that is just my total personal opinion. Um, but I don't think uh, the pl- the film works well uh in giving that scope to his life um because the film is so obsessed with him being perfect Mm -hmm. as a writer that it leaves no room for nuance in his uh in his return to the family life it's very much just like well i'm the man and i'm i'm unhappy about my son dying uh that's the whole that's the only thing that's worth mentioning whereas i think the film could have been a very much just like a slice of life of this man who'd come back and had much more conflict uh, in the past. And it was not so much about the conflict of now. It's it's about, yes, amend, mending those bridges slowly over time with your daughters uh, and your wife, mm-hmm. as opposed to through dramatic gestures yeah. of, you know, growing and running to your your uh, son's death site because you're so upset about it still. Right. I, I just feel like the, the, the focus was, was so skewed towards this one event that it really hampered uh, the ability to really kind of have a really interesting look into what it could have been like mm-hmm. for someone who was not widely considered, you know, the greatest playwright of all time, was not considered a genius and, you know... Uh, I mean, he was a he was a genius in business. He did really very well for himself. Yeah. Um, but he was not noble. He was not you know yeah. he he was a man of a particular time and place uh, who was good at what he did. Right. And I think that's actually a more interesting character portrait yeah. than the one that we got. And that's what I thought the film was going to do when I saw it the 
trailer for the first time yeah, yeah. was that it was going to be I, I wanted to see Shakespeare puttering around in the yard like yeah. I wanted to see Shakespeare the man I didn't want to see a film that turned Shakespeare into a god because yeah. that's what we get all the time yeah. and so to have Shakespeare um it, kind of like an upstart crow like where it pokes fun at it mm-hmm. but but it's the mundane aspects of Elizabethan life and mm-hmm. how this person would fit into that yeah. who you're right and he was not um, particularly lauded at the time. Yeah. There were there were other poets who who died and were given Westminster Abbey burials the same year as Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, he wasn't properly eulogized until 1623. Yeah. You know, seven the folio and stuff. Yeah, years after his death, right? Yeah. So he was not somebody that that the the whole of England would trip over as far as we know to go talk to or they wouldn't interrupt him while he's trimming his hollyhocks in his garden like it doesn't that didn't jive it felt like it was a shoehorning a modern interpretation of how Shakespeare is viewed today yes onto grafting it onto um, the time period that it was from which did not feel justified it felt like fan fiction it really in a bad way I love fan fiction I'm not denigrating it at all but it felt like wish fulfillment and it didn't feel like it was was true which is ironic considering the film is called All is True exactly some are born great some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. And it's interesting because uh, that grafting is is so not apparent in all the other elements of the film that we really liked. Like, yeah. for instance, the costume design. Oh yeah, stellar! Like absolutely perfect. Like there, you know, you can see the difference between what the nobility wears and mm-hmm. what the peasantry wears. Mm-hmm. And you know, when Ian McKellen shows up as as the Lord of Southampton, you Earl know, he, of Southampton. Earl of Southampton. Sorry. Uh, you know, he has a totally different dress. Like it's it. It was amazingly well done. Yeah, that way. set design too. It was yeah. dark as fuck in each of and those the interior candles scenes. Candles were yeah. just like perfectly yeah. shot. Uh, yeah. Like the cinematography was beautiful. It really was. The exterior was shots watch. are all just gorgeous. Yeah, it makes Warwickshire look like this. It's very <laughs> pastoral yeah. England. Like yeah. that. That whole aspect of of you know Britannia. Yeah. As this, you know, you know, it was, it was really nice to watch yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and and honestly, uh, even the acting, I mean, limited by what the the script provided, but the actors all did a great job. Judy mm-hmm. Dench was amazing. She nailed the accent, too, yeah. which was uh, great. I found some of the daughters slipped in and out a little bit of Oh, <laughs> of yes, that Aiden, accent. who is such a, a scholar of accents. So much. But no, but there were times when, like, I would notice that they had the accent, and uh-huh. then other times I just didn't notice it at yeah. all, and I think that was, that was kind of I loved the scene with... Um, with Ian McKellen as the Earl of Southampton coming to visit Shakespeare yeah. for um, just on on pure acting yeah. moment alone, like Those two. to have Kenneth Branagh and Ian McKellen and Judy Dench in the background because oh, yeah. their whole relationship That's between true. the Lord, uh, Earl of Southampton and Shakespeare is that in the film is that Shakespeare was in love with uh, the Earl mm-hmm. and the Earl never returned it. So Shakespeare had written all these plays and there's this really heartfelt thing where he's like, I was spilling my heart for you in these in the right. sonnets. Like, I really well, did love you. And that's why the, the, the choice to use Sonnet 29 when in disgrace with fortune in yeah. men's eyes to have Kenneth Branagh deliver it in one way with, with one particular subtext and then to have Ian McKellen deliver it yeah. in another way with a completely different subtext and having these two men from very different stratospheres um, delivering the same lines to one another with that much feeling yeah. 
was a masterstroke. That was really that was I, at the beginning. I'm like, this is a bit contrived, but also, but after the fact, I'm like, okay, no, that was actually pretty powerful, yeah. right? Yeah, no, and and yeah, they both did an amazing job. And I I do want to mention the Judy Dench connection because mm-hmm. uh, she's very upset when the Earl of Southampton yes. arrives because she she's like, I can't read, I know that. But other people in town could, and they told me all about these these Who this is dark, the dark lady, lady and, the fair youth. Yeah, right? exactly. And I and, don't want to know about it. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> you and, know? and it added this dynamic layer to that whole yeah. conversation uh, between Brenna and, and McKellen because uh, there's Judy Dench, you know, not even on screen, but her presence yeah. is kind of there because yeah. you feel the betrayal finally because you mm-hmm. realize that Shakespeare did give his heart to someone else. Yeah, and so uh, she knows that. Uh, Shakespeare knows that and Ian McKellen all know that and it's this weird little love triangle that develops not even on screen at all yeah. um, and that is and it's just really down it's to the actors. It's all subtext but that yeah. that's what you have to do when you have rumors of bisexuality and yeah. and relationships clandestine relationships you know um, none of that is has ever been proven it will nope. probably never be proven so you have to rely on subtext it's entirely based on subtext and that's where the film really did shine when, when it clobbers you over the head with some of this stuff is where it like that lack of subtlety is is really noticeable when you have moments like this that ironically shine because it's a very dark scene and they're in very tight close-ups so you you don't (laughs) it's not it's not a bright shiny happy scene but it's it's very it was very successful i thought that was a really great scene um, I also like the ending with the reading of the Cymbeline funeral. Yeah. Um, no, it, yeah, and and there is a happy ending. I mean, the last scene with all of them together is, sure. is uh, Anne writing her name for the yeah. first time, and yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah, uh, and it's and it's very sweet and touching. The only problem I had with that was just that it didn't it didn't feel earned like so much else yeah. in the film. It just did not feel yeah, like it just it kind was, of happened. And yeah. You're like, oh. Okay, that's sweet. Yeah. But yeah, it does not connect well with the rest and of the And it would have had the centrality of Hamnet's death not taken hold. Taken so much yeah. of the screen time. Like literally, it, it's probably about, out of 101 minutes, it's probably about 45 minutes is focused just on his death. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Shakespeare's sadness, sadness over his over death. Sadness over yes. And, and it's referenced in the film too when everybody, like especially Judith, she's like, we've grieved him already. Yeah. Like this is done. This is, this is almost 20 years ago. Like you're yeah. just getting back here. And and you're dealing with this, but we don't have to deal with this. And yeah. We've already done this, right? Yeah, which and was yeah, which was fair. I mean, it, it made it it made the 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 centrality of it. Uh, like it, the film's aware that it is that it is kind of an odd thing to focus on, but uh, they still do it, and that's what exactly. that's what marks it off as just such a, an odd choice to mm-hmm. say to have these words put into characters' mouths. Maybe it was it that's referenced a, a lot times, too because yeah. because Shakespeare as somebody who spent most of his life writing words for other people is really bad at understanding the the clues of the body language and the unspoken words around him. Yeah. So for the film to to give these words to someone and to have the film still not get it felt very maybe apropos, I don't know, but it sounds like we hated this film. We've yeah, been ragging on uh, it a lot, uh, and it's—I mean, it's not my favorite. I, I, Lindsay, let's let's do it. Let's let's give it how many pen knives out of five? <laughs> pen knives. Jeez, I can't talk about talking. I don't know. Many, maybe it's a Tolkien dwarf versus dwarves yeah, thing. Sure. Like, yeah, I don't okay. know. Uh, how many knives. out of five would you would you give it? I don't know. Three, two yeah, and a half. Yeah, I, I'm in pretty firm two and a half category. Yeah. It's. It's a it's a worthwhile film for Shakespeare buffs. I would say that mm-hmm. it's not something you. I mean, if you didn't see it, you'll be fine too. But it is an interesting, well put together uh, exploration of the late years. Um, 
I, I think it doesn't hold a candle to the other ones that I've enjoyed, such as Shakespeare in Love. I think that's it's a silly little romp, but it's a very enjoyable film, and the characters yeah. consistent at least, <laughs> and uh, it, it it somehow works in, in that way. Uh, whereas this one fails a little bit. And I think um, it. The people who want to see this film will go to see this film. It's not going to win over any converts. It's no. not going to convince people to go see no. it. Like our review isn't going to do that. No. But if you if you're on the fence about it, um, yeah, I'd say go. You know, yeah. As far as as yeah, the other films. I mean, you mentioned Shakespeare in Love. Anonymous is the one that I keep coming back yes, to, which yeah. um, is funny as a Stratfordian to to like, really like a, a film that that puts Edward de Vere as the author of the Shakespearean canon. Um, but I feel like those films succeed because they they don't well anonymous does but it takes kind of a fanciful approach to the things that are missing from the from the yes. historical record and, and it revels in that Whereas yeah this tried to pass them off as no here's what really happened yeah don't but, worry about but it was all still interpretation it's like saying my interpretation is not interpretation it's fact and yeah. I think that. Um, even though you can read this, you can go into this and think this is this is just a story. This is just one man or two men um, thinking about what might have happened. It does feel, I think, with the gravitas of of Kenneth Branagh and Ben Elton and this shining cast of 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 actors that they got together for the mm-hmm. film, it feels like it's trying to be the definitive word, yeah. and. It can't be. It fails in that way. Yeah. yeah. So if it had just said this is one interpretation instead yeah. of trying to say yeah. this is all is true, yeah. maybe it would have been more successful. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. And just one last small comment. Uh, the, Kenneth Brown is kind of a divisive figure <laughs> for a lot of people uh, just because he, he is so heavily invested in the Shakespeare uh, world and films, especially like Lindsay mentioned in the nineties, he was in absolutely every single one of them. Uh, it feels like, uh, and, but in this one, I thought, and we both remarked on this, Lindsay, uh, his performance as Shakespeare, he, you, you don't feel like you're watching Kenneth Branagh at all. Um, whereas in, you know, when you're watching Henry the fifth, you're like, Oh yeah, it's Henry the fifth. It's Kenneth Branagh. As Henry, as Henry the Fifth, it's Kenneth yeah. Branagh as Hamlet. Like that, it's very, very strong feeling. Here, uh, they did the makeup, the hair, everything was was so well uh, put together. And his performance is actually quite. Uh, it doesn't feel like it doesn't have the because usually he's very good at amping up the Shakespearean yeah. characters, um, but he plays him very kind of subdued. Subdued is perfect, and yeah, and it works quite well here. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that because if anybody's on the fence and they're like, "Well, but it's Kenneth Branagh," I don't. No, I'm not a big Kenneth Branagh fan. Then you know, just he's set a that aside. He's a divisive figure. Would you say he's a divisive figure? I've seen on a few conversations on Reddit, people oh. have been like, "Oh, Kenneth Branagh." Really? No thanks. Yeah. That's news to me. Oh. I, I guess I, I I find him divisive because he cheated on Emma Thompson, so I feel bad and I like for uh, liking yeah. him. No, exactly. <laughs> She's a national treasure. We're not even British. It doesn't. She's an international treasure. Okay, <laughs> the whole Commonwealth and everywhere else loves Emma Thompson. Aww. 
so that's it for us uh, on this special episode. Uh, again, uh, the film is out now. Yeah. Uh, we saw it at the little art house cinema. Yours might be in a wider distribution. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but do check it out. And uh, thank you for joining us. Our next episode will likely be our Wars of the Roses yeah. retrospective as we dive into the, the world of Henry the Sixth. Sixth. Yeah, the, the three parts of, of Henry the, Henry the, the Sixth. Henry the Three. So. <laughs> Henry the Three. Jeez. Numbers are not uh, good with, with you, for not, you. Not me goodish with the numbers. <laughs> So join us next time. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.